Hi there, thanks for joining us today. So next week, our church will start meeting indoors again. But it won't be like it used to be. I mean, this will be a, a whole new chapter and the next phase of the vision that we believe God gave us of reaping a great harvest through multiplying ourselves across the seacoast and beyond. Uh, it's not quite how we had planned it, but we do know that God is in it and has been preparing us over the summer. So I'm personally excited to see what he's going to do. Uh, of course, we don't know all that he's got planned for us. We're just taking this kind of next step, uh, which means that next week we're going to have four public gatherings with up to about 75 people in each meeting in two main locations, in Portsmouth and in Summersworth. And you'll find details of that on our website this coming week. Um, but what would they look like, you know, these gatherings? What can we expect? I thought it would be helpful just to talk a little bit about that and to kind of ask ourselves, what is the, the vision for our meetings? What's our goal? Um, what do we believe is the purpose for the church gathering to worship? That's an important question to ask ourselves. And perhaps a good place to start is to remind ourselves of what the very first church looked like, uh, the spirit-filled church in Jerusalem that we read about in the book of Acts. And so I'm gonna read here from Acts 2 and verse 42, where we're kind of given this, this snapshot. It's almost like an Instagram picture of their life together. It says this, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now that's a uh, there's an awful lot kind of packed into that little snapshot of the church uh, there, isn't there? Uh, but perhaps I should just underline uh, three things that I see here. Uh, three marks of a spirit-filled church as shown by their relationships. So the first thing we see is how uh, they related to one another. It's really what Sam Poe talked about last week. Uh, you know, the harmony that they experienced, the, the oneness, the generosity towards one another, and especially those who are in need. That was really a work of the Spirit. Then secondly, we see how they related to God. The, I mean, this was a devoted church. This was a praying and worshipping church. Uh, they were regularly breaking bread, celebrating the presence of Jesus in their midst as they shared the Lord's Supper. And they were experiencing his power through the signs and wonders that were being done. It says they were full of joy and awe. And then thirdly, is how they must have related to the world around them. Because we're told there that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now we're not told how, 
but we can be sure it didn't happen apart from the witness of the church. In fact, Luke says there, doesn't he? He says they had favour with all the people. And we can only assume that they were sharing the good news of Jesus with people in their community every day because people were being saved, it says, on a daily basis. And of course, Jesus had made it very clear to them what their purpose was. Uh, his, his very last words to them were, you know, you will be my witnesses. He said, even as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Uh, go, he says, and make disciples. So the church, you know, exists for mission. New Frontiers Church exists for mission. And uh, we're given this kind of snapshot of life in the early church. But what we've got to remember is that the context for it was God's mission. And I think it's so important for us uh, to see this, you know, what God intends for us. Lest we think that uh, church is a meeting that we go to on Sundays, or that the, the life of the church is what happens on a Sunday morning. You know, what we see there in that snapshot is so much more than that, isn't it? It's not just a meeting that you go to, it's a life that you live in relationship with one another, in relationship with God, and in relationship with the world around us. It's not just on Sundays, it's 24 seven. There was stuff happening daily in this church. They gathered in uh, different ways for different purposes, formally and informally, in the temple courts and in their homes. Uh, so, you know, when we talk about what our Sunday gathering should look like, look like we really need to bear that in mind that it's really just uh, one aspect of who we are together. And therefore, we shouldn't expect that uh, everything we see happening in this snapshot is going to happen in just an hour or so on a Sunday morning. And yet, what happens in that hour is still very important for our life and mission together. You know, it's when we gather on the Lord's Day that we are joining with millions of saints all over the world as they've done every Lord's Day for 2,000 years to celebrate the risen Lord Jesus in our midst so that we can be strengthened and encouraged for his mission. And whenever the church gathers publicly, it's also a witness to the world that Jesus is alive. You know, when I was uh, 19 years old, I was as far away from God as you could be. You know, my dad was into witchcraft and the occult. And when my parents divorced, my new stepdad was a career criminal who ended up dying in prison. Uh, I was into Zen Buddhism and tarot cards and I was into punk rock. You know, I got arrested for drunken brawling. I was hopelessly lost. And yet I was drawn to Christ because of the witness of the church, much like the one we see here in Acts. Not that it was perfect, but there were people who reached out to me, invited me into their home where I ate with them and I, I saw the joy that they had. And I accepted their invitation to a Sunday gathering with many more believers just like them. You know, I'd never been to church before, but in those gatherings, I saw something. I experienced something that I was drawn to. I know now it was the, it was the reality of God's presence in their midst. You know, but their, their worship was just full of joy and awe, right? Things happened that you couldn't explain. Even things like uh, tongues and prophecy, they, 
They weren't off-putting to me. I mean, I had no idea what they were, but I was intrigued. And uh, there was just this wonderful, tangible presence that I was being touched by in those meetings, and I wanted to know what it was. It was encountering Jesus there that changed my life. And isn't that really what we should, we should be looking for whenever we gather to worship? Because the gathered church is meant to be the place where the presence of God is manifested. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. He says that we are the temple of God now. We're, we're all like living stones, he says, that we're being built together on Jesus, who is the foundation stone. And he says we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, where does God dwell on earth? In us. And where does he love to manifest his presence? It's when we gather as the temple of God to worship him. You know, in the Old Testament, in uh, 2 Chronicles 5, we read about uh, when Solomon was dedicating the temple to the Lord and they had these worshippers and musicians bringing their praise to God in unison. And it says there, it says, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. They experienced God's manifest presence, his glory in the temple. And that word glory in the Hebrew literally means weight, right? They're experiencing the, the weightiness of God. In fact, we're told that they couldn't even remain standing in the temple. So heavy was his presence. And Paul says, we are now the temple of God, the place where his spirit dwells. And it's when we gather to worship that his presence and his glory is manifested. I remember Henry telling me that after uh, one of our meetings out in the parking lot, he overheard a couple who were visiting for the first time and uh, who were clearly a little overcome. He heard them saying to one another, when did you ever experience God's presence like that? I can re remember on another occasion, a guest telling me he couldn't physically get up from his chair because it was like there was this weight on him. He was overcome. Praise God, right? This, I mean, that may not happen every single week, but you know, it does happen in different ways and more than we probably realize. People are encountering the presence of God in our midst. It's like uh, where Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, when you're all prophesying, an unbeliever who may be present will have the secrets of his heart laid bare. So he'll be convicted and fall down saying, God is here. God is in the midst. Now, I pray that we'll see those kinds of things happening more and more. In fact, can I suggest it should be the distinguishing feature of our gatherings. Do you remember Moses in Exodus 33, where the cloud of God's presence had been leading the people of Israel through the wilderness? And when it seemed that God was not going to continue with them, Moses said to God there, he says, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here, he says, because what else will distinguish your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And so God relented. And then Moses rather boldly says, now show me your glory, please show me your glory, he says. And God did. Now may God show us his glory as we start gathering again indoors. 
and may his presence be the distinguishing feature of our meetings. Because, you know, if we don't have his presence, the very thing that makes us distinct, we have nothing. But if we do have it, then we have everything we need. Doesn't matter if we're meeting indoors or outdoors, with masks or without masks. You know, if God is in the midst, we have everything we need, right? And here's the thing. Jesus promised that when we gather in his name, he would be in our midst, right? His spirit is present. So let's gather to him. Let's welcome him. Let's expect to encounter him. Let's make him the center and the focus. Surely that should be the goal and the purpose of our gatherings, shouldn't it? It's really all about him. It means that you know, when we gather, we're not, going, we're not going to do so to try and reach unbelievers. That's not the purpose. Neither are we primarily gathering to encourage one another. And nor is the goal to have as many people participate as possible. Right? We want to do all those things, but that's not the purpose. Our purpose in gathering is to make much of God. Right? To glory in him, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. To gather to him, to give praise to him, to delight in him and encounter him and receive from him. And if we'll do that, I think we'll find all the other things happening quite naturally. I suspect that's how it was in the early church. So, if that's our goal, then let me give you three things I think we should focus on as we gather in this next season. And it has a Trinitarian kind of focus. So the first thing is this, give God glory. A gloria a Dios. Right? When we come together, we're saying uh, with King David in Psalm 34, come glorify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. We make that our first priority to give glory to God. So we come with praise and thanksgiving to the God of all creation, magnifying him, proclaiming truth about him, who he is, the great things that he's done, you know, that he is mighty, he is holy, he is sovereign, he is faithful, he is loving, he's a good, good father, that we're here for him. And as we worship in that way, you know, the problems and the concerns we came in with, they start to shrink before the greatness and the majesty of our God. And we're not just talking here about having a worship leader leading us in singing some songs. Uh, of course, that would be part of it. But we still want to encourage participation from other members of the body throughout our time together. So rather than us all just face the worship leader, uh, we might arrange the chairs in a way that will encourage more participation, make it easier for different people to bring their contributions, whether that's starting a song or praying out, you know, reading a scripture uh, or testifying to God's goodness, maybe prophesying or sharing an, an impression, all of which gives glory to God and fuels our worship. So give God the glory. Okay, that's the first thing. Let's delight in him. And of course, the way that he has revealed his glory to us uh, is primarily in his son, Jesus. As it says in Hebrews, he is the radiance of the Father's glory. And so the second thing that I'd like us to focus on when we come together is that we gather to the Lord's table, that we make the Lord's Supper 
uh, or communion, you know, central to our gatherings. And in doing that, we make Jesus central because it's his table, right? He is the host. He's the one who invites us to come and to remember him and to receive from him. And maybe we should even put the table right in the middle of our gatherings. You know, for many years now, centuries, it's the pulpit, it's the sermon that's been the central focus of many Protestant evangelical church services. And sadly, you now what so often happened is it's the preacher who has been elevated, put on a kind of pedestal and worshipped, where it becomes uh, all about their ministry. It's why it's so devastating for a church if their leaders' failings are then exposed and they have to be removed from ministry, maybe uh, because they abuse their position or because of immorality or something, which you know has happened, sadly, a number of times recently. And it can cause people to give up on the church and to lose faith. Now, of course, uh, any good preacher will keep Jesus central and keep pointing people to him. But in this next chapter of our church, we want to keep Jesus central by devoting ourselves to the breaking of bread, as they did in the book of Acts. You know, in so many churches today, uh, communion has been kind of pushed to the periphery or just kind of tacked rather awkwardly on the end of a meeting. Or in an increasing number of churches now, it's non-existent because they feel that it will be a barrier to any unchurched guests. I don't see it as a barrier. I see it as an opportunity to share the gospel and to invite people to come to Jesus and put their trust in him as we make him the centre. And I think, you know, when we do this, we will recover something of God's presence that perhaps has been marginalised or lost over the years. You know, these uh, simple elements of the bread and the cup, they've been the mark of Christian worship since the very beginning. And across uh, every generation, every ethnicity, every uh, economic and cultural barrier, it's been Jesus inviting one and all to come in unity to his table. That's what's united his people. And you know, where there is unity, there is blessing. And as we share communion with him and with one another, we can expect to receive his blessing. Right? As we take uh, the bread and the wine in faith, we're not just remembering what Jesus did for us in the past. We're actually experiencing and entering into his victory in the present. And I really believe it's one of the ways that he will manifest his presence among us as we receive his blessing, which might then lead us to pray for the sick or for other needs in our body. Now, of course, we still want to devote ourselves to God's word as they did in the early church. But right now, we're finding other ways of doing that, like having uh, our weekly sermon online where everyone has access to it, and then having small groups where people can discuss it and apply it together. But for our Sunday gatherings, we want to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread as we gather to the Lord's table and make Jesus central to our time together. All right, so just to recap so far, the first thing is we wanna come and give glory to God. The second thing is we gather to the Lord's table. Then the third thing is to exercise gifts of the Spirit. As we've seen before, 
Uh, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about their gatherings, when they gathered for worship, he not only gave them instructions about the Lord's table, but he also encouraged them to exercise spiritual gifts. So in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, to each one of you, he says, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. And then he gives some examples of these uh, supernatural gifts, these uh, manifestations of the Spirit that we should expect to be evident when we gather together, including, he says, uh, gifts of healing and the working of miracles, uh, gifts of prophecy and words of knowledge, um, gifts of faith and wisdom, gifts of tongues and interpretation. And he says all these are empowered by the same Spirit who gives to each one of us as he determines. Right? It's not for us to determine. We don't possess these gifts. But when we gather, it's the Holy Spirit who determines who to give these gifts to. And it might be different people each time, but they're to be exercised for the good of the body and for the glory of God. It's one of the primary ways that God manifests his presence among us. And so, you know, just as we're expecting different people to participate in our worship, we should also expect different ones of us to exercise these gifts during our time together. And might I say, especially the gift of prophecy, a gift that Paul particularly encouraged the Corinthians to desire. And I gave a whole message on that two weeks ago, so I won't get into it again. But, you know, it's one of those gifts that can really bring the tangible presence of God to our gatherings as God is speaking to people's hearts and might even lead unbelievers to say, God is here. God is in the midst. Of course, uh, miracles will do that as well. So let's be asking God for all these gifts of his spirit and for boldness to exercise them when we gather. You know, we want to make room for these spontaneous works of the Spirit in our meetings. Um, and so that's my hope, really, for when we start gathering again indoors. And I'm really excited to see what God will do. You know, we've already seen him at work in our gatherings over the summer, um, as he has in our church over the years. But I really do believe, with all of my heart, that greater things are still to come. As we gather to the presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we do that, when we encounter God and we encourage one another, right, then we will be sent out from those gatherings, strengthened, empowered, and envisioned to reach a lost and broken world. To reach people like me when I was 19 years old. To reach the many, many people who God is wanting to save and add to our church community. Will you pray with me for that uh, this week? Let's be praying for this, uh, that God would come and manifest his presence amongst us. Amen? Okay, God bless you.